What is going on, friends? Thank you for joining us for the New Vision Podcast. We here at New Vision believe that the gospel transforms lives. So we're going to take an opportunity to open up God's word and see what he has to say so that we can take the best next step to become more like Jesus. Hey, everybody, listening to this episode, we're so glad you joined us. Whether you're at New Vision, you've heard about us, you're a visitor, or you just stumbled upon this podcast, we hope that this day blesses you, that reading from God's Word is uplifting to you, and that you encounter Him. So today, I want to start off by saying I'm going to go a little bit off script for this episode. I'm going to be dealing in, in several episodes and deal, uh, as we will in the next few days, with the topic that is very difficult in the book of Joshua and in other parts of the Old Testament as well. So I'm going to pause I'm picking up in chapter 8, but I'm going to pause and cut it short. I'm not going to exegete every verse. I'm going to pause and say, hey, let's take this opportunity to talk about this issue, this philosophical issue, this theological issue uh, as a whole in, in, in general kind of terms and, and pull out other parts of Scripture to kind of illuminate that for us. And so I want to stop and I want to pray right now um, just to to get everybody who's listening to this, myself included, our heads fixed rightly on God himself and what he has to say to us in his word. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this podcast medium, uh, for for the sermons on Sunday, for every way, all the technology that we have available to us that we can use to encounter you. And so I pray that that is first and foremost what happens today through my voice, through whoever's listening to this, through digging into Scripture for themselves, what happens that we encounter you. And so the words that come out of my mouth, may they be from you and not anything of my own agenda. All of us, we have that kind of bent to us. And so, Father, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would just slide right through that, through this human voice who's speaking in the podcast, and that you would make yourself known and that anything that I would say that is not of you, that people would just, that would just slide off of them and that they would stick to you and what you have to say for yourself and your word. So help me to be a, a voice of that and that you would speak through me and that the listener would hear and encounter you. And so I pray for us all, myself included, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I'm picking up in chapter eight. Now, we've been through the book of Joshua a lot, verse by verse, and we've, we've already kind of seen, seen this theme pop up. And I do believe, I'm, I'm recording this well in advance, I think Joseph Brasher uh, may have mentioned this <clears throat> on his episode like last week sometime, talking about the fall of Jericho. And that's this topic of holy war. Holy war and, and all the killing and, and all the, the brutality seemingly that we see here in, in this story. And so I'm picking up today in chapter 8, it's just going to refresh us of that topic and we're going to talk about, talk about that. So Verse 8 of uh, chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. Verse 2. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. And he goes on and on to detail uh, what they're about to do. Now, and tomorrow in the podcast after this, we'll actually see 
this come to pass, and you'll see all the details of that. And so Ben Curtis is going to do a great job. I've already heard his podcast of, of dealing with this topic even more. So I'm, I'm going to cut it short there, but let's go back. So God's like, do to AI what you did to Der- Jericho. And so well, let's go back to chapter 6, verse 21. How did that happen in Jericho? Well, it says, quote, Then they, Israel, devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. So there's no beating around the bush. This is a very hard text. God told them to do that, and then he says, now do it to AI. And it's like, man, this is tough, and let's just breathe in that for a second. It's hard. I mean, I don't... At face value... There's a lot of reaction to have it. There's the emotional reaction of like, why would God do that? That just seems wrong, you know? And and so that's what we're, I want to deal with in this episode. And I'm going to try not to go too long, but I, I've, in my experience, I have run across a variety of ways that people respond to this, this theme in scripture in anger and uh, rejecting it or, or push back or, you know, just don't like it in a, in a variety of ways. And on the same token, I've heard a response to that pushback responded in, in, in other variety of ways. And, and there's ditches on both sides to both sides of that coin. So as you can respond to this in a bad way, and you can respond to the response of this in a bad way. And so all that to say, you know, just let's just not beat around the bush. I know people that don't like this and they reject Christianity because of it. Now, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but in my experience, I've run into people who use this as an excuse, to be quite frank. They just, they don't really have a problem. I mean, they have a problem with it, but it's not like they wouldn't have had a problem otherwise. They're, they're just using that as an excuse to reject God. Um, you know, the atheist argument, or really it's an anti-theist. They're against God, and well, they'll just find any reason to, to use as an excuse. Regardless of any explanation they could be given, they're just using this verse at face value, not going deeper, just to, to be hostile towards the Bible in general, and of course, Christ and, and the gospel. And so that's to say, people use an excuse. Now, again, not being insensitive, there's people that genuinely have a problem with this, and, and it seems like a huge problem. And I'm not beating you up. I'm, I'm not saying you're just using an excuse. I'm just saying, like, there's people on both spectrums. So I, I kind of want to talk to that today. And by that same token, there's people that respond to this in wrong ways too. There's some the people that there's ditches on either side on how you respond to this. There's people that are just way too harsh uh, on the response to this, and then there's people that are way too that they, they try to soften it. So, oh, that's just the God of the Old Testament. God wouldn't do that, and is and you know that's that kind of response is wrong as well. And so, I wanted to see what what the rest of Scripture has to illuminate this. So, first of all. I have a couple points. I want to say most of our problems, not most, not all, but most of our problems with text like this come from when we, number one, when we elevate mankind too highly and we regard God's righteousness or holiness too lowly. So most of our problems with text like this come from when we elevate mankind too highly and regard God's righteousness or his holiness too lowly. And so I just want to take it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God, and I'm not trying to be harsh, but God is perfectly justified in snuffing out all life, all humankind, mankind, ever since Genesis 3, when he said, eat of this fruit and you will die. 
But he said that, and he, he kicked him out of the garden, and we lost that spiritual fellowship with God, and we eventually had to die physical deaths. But God could have stopped this whole show back then in Genesis 3, and he would be right to do so, but he didn't, all right? And so, all right, that's a, that's a big point to make. We're all under the condemnation of death, for all have sinned. We're all of our father, Adam, okay? So we want to take it back to that, where as, as mankind have rebelled and against God, who's a creator, and he's holy, and he's righteous, and he's just... Well, then we go forward into Genesis, and we see Genesis chapter 6. You know, the whole flood in Noah, and, and God says in chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. God saw our wickedness and that we're all evil only all the time. That's our motivation. Even when we do things that are nice at face value, we ultimately do them for selfish reasons and not giving glory to God who deserves it. And so God's justified in bringing about the flood. Now the people that are against the the written word of God and say, oh, I don't believe in that. I reject that. Well, I would also put forth to you, if you have a problem with what's going on here in Joshua and the destruction of Jericho and the destruction of AI and, and the, the holy war, as it were, then you have a problem also with the flood. And, and you know, I think that's a historical narrative and it's to be taken literally. And we saw that in Genesis chapter 7, you know, God's threatening this flood. He's sending it forth as judgment. And he said, verse 21, all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, swarming creatures, you know, verse 22, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was breath of life died. Verse 23, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, which we know the ark ultimately points to Jesus. And so there we see, we see God's enacting judgment on these, on, on the globe, a global flood. Um, and, and his judgment, he's right to do so. Then he says in chapter 8 of Genesis, I will never again curse the ground because of man. You know, this is the Noahic covenant. Noah makes an altar to God and, and praises him for his salvation through the ark. And God says, I'm not going to curse the ground again, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Even though he's evil, I'm not going to do this global flood again. Neither will I again strike down every living creature as I have done. Okay, so he's not going to blot out everyone again like he has done through flood. Verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. He's making a covenant with all mankind, whether you're a Christian or not. He's not going to destroy all the world again, all, all human life on a global scale again through flood. Now, that doesn't mean he's saying he's, he, he's not right in enacting judgment against mankind. That has been the case ever since Genesis 3. And so I'm really not trying to be harsh, but I'm trying to point out this philosophical point that it is God's choice to enact his judgment or to withhold that, or, spoiler alert, he's going to enact that judgment on Christ and take care of the problem once and for all, but it's God's choice to do that here in Joshua even though it's on a very small scale. It's on a small scale. It's just, you know, the city of Jericho is obviously smaller than a global flood event. And so if God chooses to use his chosen nation, Israel, this theocratic nation state, 
as the, I'm using air quotes now, as the water or the, the, the means, end quote, of a very small scale of that judgment, then that is God's prerogative and he's right to do so. And I'm not trying to be insensitive. And I, I know uh, maybe I've lost some of y'all. And so I want to go on to the next point to continue on with this thought that most of our problems with texts like this, we've already talked about how it's because we regard ourselves too highly. You know, we're sinners. We deserve judgment. God's holy. He's right. And then number two, most of our problems with texts like this come when we assume God's motives are worse than they actually are. And isn't that true about our relationships with everybody? We assume their motives are worse than they actually are. But especially here, when we have difficult texts like this. Now, I was talking with, I've been talking with Brady and, and Ben Curtis and Dakota, just kind of uh, hashing out this text and, and you know, sharpening each other. And, and just, I've, I've really enjoyed our conversations about how we handle this text. But Dakota kind of pointed out something to me in my study Bible that I thought was really helpful. When it comes to God's motives here, I mean, we can't fully understand God's motives, but one of his ultimate reasons or motives in, in, in doing this is because he's gotten Israel, that's his chosen people, he's going to make them a, a nation, and he's going to bless all the nations. We'll see that again in the Great Commission, but God's going to use Israel and the descendants of Israel, namely through Jesus, he's going to bless everybody through this nation, and he needs land and space to do this, and he needs to teach them his ways and, and make his covenant with them, and, and you know that, that needs to be a nation state. This is theocratic Israel. So one of his main motives in, in that stage of this journey in, in our salvation is spiritual warfare. And so Dakota showed me this note in the ESV study Bible that was perfectly worded. It said, this is not all this warfare in the book of Joshua and the, the sacking of Jericho and the killing of the Canaanites. It is not an instance of ethnic cleansing, but one of spiritual warfare. If you look through all the Old Testament, all of it, every time that Israel moved into an area and mingled with the other groups rather than being separate from them, they ended up being syncretists, which is a fancy word for mixing. They're trying to mix the right worship of Yahweh with all these pagan religions. They try to mix them, and then they end up outright being in rejection and apostasy or adultery of the one true God. And then they're really under God's wrath. Like he, He's gone to this efforts to choose this people and to save them and, and love them and, and feed them in the desert and be patient with them. And he's done all this stuff. And every time that they mix with the thing, the very thing that God has been trying to save them from, how much more angry do you think that makes God? And how much more right do you think that makes in his judgment and his estimation of mankind and that we're only sinful and sinful all the time is right. And so it's hard to think at face value, but we, we have to see God's motives here are, are the most loving. Ultimately, we need to not assume that God's motives are worse than they actually are. God's motives are loving, and he's saving a people unto himself. Number three, and I was talking about this with Ben Curtis the other day, and he said this really good one-liner, and I was just like, yeah, that's really good. And then we kind of talked about it a little bit more. And he said, you know, one one thing to say is that God, he's not He's not up there being like, kill them all, like this kind of, like we said, this bad motive. But he primarily relates toward us, mankind, in love. He does. He primarily relates toward us in love. Whatever we think of God, we, we must take it to love. And I would take it a step further from there. And why texts like this are so difficult is that, 
Yeah, I think I think that's true. God primarily relates toward us in love, but I think it's more accurate to say that God relates, period, God's entity, his very being intrinsically, like his essence, relates to everything in, in us in the entirety of all his attributes perfectly. That includes everything. God relates to us entirely out of all his attributes perfectly. That includes his righteousness, his holiness, his justice, his love, his mercy, his kindness. And, well, I don't fully understand that. And his wisdom, like so much more bigger than my mind can comprehend. And if I have a problem with God's righteousness and judgment and what we see as his, could be his harshness here in the book of Joshua, you're cutting off the branch that you're sitting on because then you ultimately have a problem with Jesus, which is the ultimate example of God's righteousness, his justice, his wrath, and his mercy and his love and forgiveness as he himself, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took God's wrath, the ultimate injustice, upon himself on the cross and became that sin offering on our behalf to rescue us in love. So ultimately, I know that many of you, if you have a grievance with these texts, maybe you're ticked off at some of the things I've been saying, this isn't going to settle the issue for you, right? And that that's, I'm not the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit and, and God's word can do that. And so, man, stay with it. Tomorrow, Ben Curtis is going to be with us to talk about this more. He's going to make some even more points about this tough topic. Hope you guys can stick with it. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for joining us for the New Vision Podcast. As always, we hope that you heard a word from the Lord and that you can better walk and reflect Christ in your everyday steps. To find out more information about New Vision, you can go to newvisionlife.com or follow us on Instagram at newvisionlife. Again, we're for you, we love you, and we look forward to seeing you back here on Monday.